and welcome to our Truly Scrumptious podcast, where we talk food festivals, festival food, foodie friends and friends of the festival. In each episode, we will chat to some of our many friends, our celebrity chefs and bakers, food producers, festival team and other people involved in the festival world. We'll even hear some backstage gossip. It's a huge world. It's a hard-working one and great fun too, although a tad stressful at times. My name is Lottie Duncan, and I'm a food presenter, writer, and eater. We want to bring our food festivals to your door, your ears, your living room, and most definitely your kitchen. So draw up your chair, pour yourself something scrumptious, take the weight off your slingbacks, and join us within the world of food, festivals and foodie types. Welcome to another Scrumptalicious episode of Joyous Foodie Fun. This week we're chatting to Sonia Simmons from Cookstars, whose aim it is to make cooking for children fun, nutritious and quite fabulous. She is bringing this to our Bradford-on-Avon Food and Drink Festival in June, a magical marquee of marvellous cooking. I'll be introducing you to my boyfriend number three the very gorgeous and brilliant David Atherton, winner of Great British Bake Off in 2019. But don't worry, John and Stephen Carterbelli, my number one and two boyfriends, are completely fine with it. But first, I want you to meet the lovely and very knowledgeable Holly Bauer from Scout and Sage Gin. Not only is her gin very delicious indeed and available to buy online and at plenty of bars and restaurants, but you can buy long, cool and friendly gin and tonics from her horse box bar at Bradford-on-Avon Food Festival in the summer, which suits John and I enormously. So I'm looking at the gorgeous Holly, Holly Bauer from Scout and Sage Gin, sitting in your... I, I, what I love about these Zooms is the fact that I can look into everyone's um, sitting rooms. <laughs> and I can see behind. Beautiful fireplace, mirror, looking gorgeous. And you're looking very fresh-faced and relaxed. Have you just had a lovely time off, by any chance? I, I have, yes. I just went down to Cornwall for the weekend, Lottie, and it was absolutely lovely. Yes. Had a really beautiful time down there, swam in the sea, lots of walking. Um, I just love it. I just completely zoned out and, yeah, feeling very chilled and yes. good. Well, you do. I, I love it too. I mean, we both want to live there, don't we? Both want to live in Cornwall. Yeah, we do. <laughs> by the seaside. Um... So let's just introduce you. Scout and Sage Gin has been going probably about sort of eight years or so, hasn't it, yeah. really, since the, the first seed of the thought for you to, to, to bring it on. What did you do pre-Scout and Sage? Oh, I was, I kind of grew up in hospitality, really. I was kind of bought, my mum had um, various businesses around sort of food and drink, so she had pubs, and then we had a lovely wine bar and sort of um, restaurant in Bath, um, and then she had a wine shop. So I was always sort of in and amongst kind of foodie hospitality world and um, then kind of went into running pubs and bars and restaurants and things like that. So it's always been in me. Um, so, yeah, fully immersed in food and drink. And so what happened in 2016 to make you think, oh, do you know what? I want to develop my own gin. I had, I had a bit, I, well, I was working for another another gin business and I've always just, probably like mum really, I just always had this inkling to work for myself. Um, and I just kind of, I was kind of sat there one day and I just thought, you know, I just want to take the bull by the horns. And I, <laughs> I quit my job, Lottie, and I went out and I bought a, a gorgeous old vintage rice horse trailer. And the idea was that I would just just go around and do lots of lovely events, um, much like the one that you organised over in Bradford Avon. And um, the, the gin thing was just sort of taking off. Um, and I just had this mum also, God, it always reminds revolves around mum. She was she kind of left hospitality and went into kind of antique buying and selling. And, you know, gin's quite fun. And uh, so I kind of wanted to give it this antique look. Uh, so, so I made this horse box, and that was just purely the idea, was to to go around and 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 be at events and and have a sort of fabulous gin bar. So that was kind of how it started. But <laughs> but I can waffle on. No, I'm. Listen, I th I think it's fascinating because when I was reading about what you what you did, is that you went to, and this is how the name came up as well, which we'll, we'll yes. go into in a sec. But you decided to go to lots of different distillers and then 
find a recipe and tweak it and find a gin and try different ones yeah. before you actually went into it yourself, which I think is really sensible because it's yeah. almost so you, before making that investment, mm. you learnt it, didn't you? Learned yeah. learn how to exactly. make it. Exactly. And, and you know, uh, the, the, the world is full of amazing makers and, and food and drink people. And I think part of that story was that I wanted to just approach the kind of smaller um producers and and work with them in kind of collaborations i've always had a bit of a love for collaborations and we still do that today and that's how it kind of all started out i would approach a, a really small distiller from sort of different parts of the uk and um and i would shout about them and how they were how they were distilling a gin and then i would bring them kind of the botanicals to use and we'd tweak it and we make a really small batch and that's where the name scout and sage came from it was me scouting out in search of these wonderful producers and they had the sort of knowledge and wisdom sage knowledge wisdom not the herb but the, the knowledge to kind of do the distilling for me because to get all your licensing is quite a thing, like you said. And um, I just wanted to kind of make different, unique batches of gin each time and tell the different ways and how you can distill and, and shout about them as well. So that's what I did. I never thought I would have my own distillery. It was like <laughs> such a big thing. Um, but yeah, then and then and then I kind of went on and did that. So what made you then take the plunge? I mean, obviously you've got. Oh, I, I just I just ended up learning so much, and um, I just thought one day, oh, you know what? Maybe I can maybe I can actually do this. And I remember thinking, I need, you know, you kind of pull together what you need, finance and a space and everything like that. And actually, where the horse box is being stored was an old fruit farm. And they have a, a bit of a, a few kind of uh, uh, spaces there. And I was chatting to the, the landlord there, the, the owner, and um, he was like, well, how much space do you need? And I was like, oh, my God, I don't, you know, some, not, not a huge amount of space. And he was like, well, what about this, the old dairy, uh, which is two tiny rooms? And we kind of walked in and I went, oh, my God, let's do it, you know. And it was <laughs> in that moment and, and, and we kind of had the vision to kind of do it. And we kind of agreed it then and there. And I thought, actually, yeah, let's just take it really slowly. And every time I did an event, I bought another piece of kit. Um, the licensing took about a year to get. But I kind of built it up. And I remember thinking, God, oh, I need this now. I need that now. So I just kind of build it up slowly and get everything I needed. And then after a year, kind of got distilling. Wow. Really exciting and yeah. very nerve-wracking. <laughs> I've got I'm sure. So you was the London Dry the first one? Yeah, I really wanted to set out through buying. When I first started, I was I was kind of there were time periods where I wasn't always um, having the stock in to for these batches that I was doing with the other distillers. So I'd buy gins in. So I got to taste Lottie quite a lot of gin. <laughs> Hard life. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I just kind of kind of experimented with lots of different kind of styles and flavors, and I just thought, God, all I want to make is a really punchy, bold Moorish gin. Um, you know, I, I suppose I could have gone out around the kind of lovely space that I'm in around a distillery in Wiltshire and pick things. I kind of do that now as well with the limited editions and the collaborations. But I just wanted to make this really, just a really punchy, beautiful, bold gin. And that's what I set out to do. And that's so, what yeah. you achieved as well. It's the London Dry, Scouts and Sage London Dry. Yeah. yeah, it's delicious. And then the one that I particularly love is your raspberry and hibiscus. Oh, yeah. I mean, A, it's yeah. pink, which is my favourite colour. Yes. But B, it's got two of my favourite ingredients in it because raspberries are so beautiful and pungent and there is their balance of acidity and sweetness oh. in there. You know, they're just perfect. Yeah. And then you've got this sort of hibiscus, which is a sour, slightly drying um, mm. quality, isn't it? So, and mixed together, you've achieved something really it Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it works really well. And people love it. People do really enjoy the rosemary and hibiscus. And I wasn't actually going to do a pink gin, but as, as, as you know, time went on, you know, pubs and bars and restaurants are saying, look, we love the London Dry, but, you know, everyone loves a pink gin. So um, I kind of stepped into it like that. Um, there's always hiccups, you know, with, with, making, with making stuff. Uh, but on the whole, kind of got there in the end. You know, at first I was like, oh, God, the colour's fading out and, you know, what's, what's going on? But um, you kind of get there in the end. When you kind Kind of when you do nail it, you're like, oh, well done, me. That's on the back. It's all good. <laughs> as long as people enjoy it, that's the main thing. Yeah. And I, I love hearing people's responses, so it's really good. Yeah, really no, good. And, and never more can you get the response from people when you're doing it live at festivals and markets. Yes. Because people are there right in front of you and oh, they're tasting yeah. and they're giving your opinion sometimes whether you want it or not. 
Um, mm. But they are giving you your, their opinion. And yes. it's it's great, I think, because they also get to meet the person behind it and the person who knows all about it and can tell that story. Yeah. Um, but it is... It really is one of my most enjoyable times to meet the public like that, you know, and, and doing the Bradford and Avon Food and Drink Festival is just great for that. You know, everyone is over the, the lovely weekend, so it's a couple of days. You know, weather has been fantastically on our side. Yes, except for the, <laughs> except for the very hot year when you got heat stroke in your oh, horse box. Oh God, I got, yeah, I got heat stroke, uh, but it was a good day. But um, yeah, it's just fantastic meeting everyone. And also, I think it's really fun for them because they get to see the fact, you know, they, you kind of, you know, you see pictures on Instagram. I'm terrible at um, putting myself on Instagram and things like that. And people say you want to do it more. But um, it's it's really nice when the people come up and say, I've been following you for a couple of years and love your gin. And it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. So we got some great photographs of you last year. I must send them to you, actually, if you in the horse box. Because yeah. um, last year was the first year, instead of just doing the stall, you actually sold gin and tonics. So, <laughs> And you're doing it next year as well. Yeah, this year? Yeah. yeah, absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. We were in right, right in the middle there. Um, great position. And it was a really fun day. Sun, sun shining. It was brilliant. Loved yeah. it. No, it's grand. And the other thing that you do, which I, which you've just started as well, which I think is brilliant, and it's been going almost a year now, are the Makers Markets, the local Makers Market yeah. Yeah. Um, in Bradford. Yeah, in Bradford-Avon. As you know, Bradford-Avon, just a really wonderful town. Um, and there are just so many amazing uh, local you know, people around here that are into making stuff and just brilliant creativity and just 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 having really lots of fun with it so i just wanted to start something up to showcase them so that's a monthly market at bradford avon town hall first ones in march and um, it's called the local makers and it's it's it's, it's gone really well brilliantly yeah, yeah. really good in st margaret's hall and you've got i mean a lot of people from last year that we were we went in there and quite a few people then followed us to the food festival which was lovely people yeah people of that's one of the biggest responses I've had is that they say to me and I didn't expect it they were just saying you know it's so great that we've got somewhere to, to, to go and trade and um yeah absolutely shout about the the Boa Food and Drink Festival because it's just awesome and take full advantage of it so you are I, very sweet thank you my lovely <laughs> great love that's it. really cool no it's really good so right I I asked this question to everybody um yep. and you know and People have lots of different answers. Um, I did recently to Planty Kate, and she was mentioned <gasps> mentioned foreplay quite a lot. I seem to remember. <laughs> she oh, did. My very very good friend Planty Kate. Yeah. Wonderful. She wonderful is. Girl. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. And actually, you introduced me to her for the I food festivals. Yeah. You did, yeah. Um, but I'm going to ask you. So, Fifty Shades of Food. This is. So this yeah. is something, Holly, which mm -hmm. you want to just do on your own. It might be a bit sticky. You want to lock that front door, take the phone off the hook. Gosh, that That's shows. It. That shows my age, doesn't it? Take the I phone off the hook. <laughs> okay. Put switch your mobile off. Shut the curtains. Um, mm. Put some music on. I don't know. Whatever oh, you want to do. Oh, you're going down that planty Kate road. Yeah. Well, you could be, or you could just be. It's a bit of me time, Holly. You yeah. and some delicious food. What would yeah, it be? I mean, I you said this like planty was going on about it and uh, not going on to me that sounds rude uh, but you know uh being fully immersed in the experience and I, I kind of have to agree with her um it's about sharing lots of lovely foodie things and it's just I think it's quite hard to say what it would be but it I think it is something quite sticky and gorgeous and delicious and it's things like you know sticky uh ribs with rice and I even put butter in my rice. Oh, butter and rice. God, it's delicious. Oh my god, and some sprinkling of some sea salt. Um, you know, something gooey, chocolatey. Um, but I think food for me, and especially more recently, it's always kind of been there, but you know, I I, I nip off to the sea quite a lot and um I love cooking outside. Oh my god! I'm never at my happiest when I'm cooking. Is when I'm cooking outside. So I've got this pan, and a very lovely friend made me this wonderful pouch, with because um, we'd clamber down places and we'd bring like bottles of olive oil and capers, which share this love of capers, and um, and all the rest of it. And then you know you're carrying bags, but you've got this amazing little pouch that she made, and little vessels of olive oil and capers and mustard, and oh, it's just amazing. You get a lump of fish wherever you are, and you start up the burner and you cook on the beach, and it's 
I mean, it's amazing. I love that. That's when I'm really, truly happy. Well, I think that it sounds perfect. And then being outside, in, in completely immersed in the elements after a swim. Yeah, I think that sounds absolutely perfect. Because I do love a sausage sizzle on the beach. A sausage sizzle, A sausage yes. sizzle on the beach. You know, but, as you say, you come in, you're a bit cold, you've been swimming, and then yes. you just, a simple little you know gas thing you you put a pan on you fry your sausages you put them in a bun with a beautiful homemade yes. chutney or something and it just gorgeous. and everyone goes a bit quiet and you have that and you're like oh you know and either you've got you know a good cup of coffee or a cup of tea and you're just you know or a glass of something lovely Ooh, gin and tonic gin and tonic absolutely <laughs> we, um, we cooked up some lovely scallops with my, my family by the beach last year and we had a lovely gin and tonic and then we had a lovely bottle of wine and it was perfect yeah i totally I t- a few years ago i was um in guernsey and i was working over in guernsey and we had been filming with some uh, uh scallop fishermen or divers oh, i would love to do that this was about- incredible we went out on a boat with these guys they were all in their late 70s one of them Percy was 82 and they still died every day yeah they dived every day anyway they they bought you know dive for these scallops and they said we said can we buy some because we'd like to take them out to a beach later me and the crew for supper and they said oh yeah yeah and they were like 50p a scallop or something I mean it was incredible so we took them down to this beach it was Pettibow Beach in Guernsey and has this huge flat stone and I put my gas stove on there my massive pan we picked alliums off the cliff Oh. And we just bought butter and lemon. Just literally shucked the um, scallops, put them into this butter with the alliums. And do you know, it was one of the best meals. It was May and it was a little bit drizzly, but it was it had a beautiful smell by the sea. It was very sweet air. Mm. And we drank it with, I can't believe I'm going to say this, Stella. <laughs> <laughs> we had cans of Stella. Oh, it's all, I think it's all we could find. I don't know. But anyway, it was... Oh so magical but it, you're right it's it is about being with wonderful people but when you have such beautiful fresh ingredients and you don't need to do too much to them yeah you know that's, it's perfect isn't it we went down to lime um a few uh, just before christmas oh no it was in between christmas and the year i think and we just we just went into the fish shop there and we just and literally had come in that morning and we got some some bass and we just cooked it up again with capers god i can't I, love capers i love capers what is that all about? Yeah. You've got to get capers in your life more often. Yeah. Oh, I love capers. And capers and pasta, capers yeah. with fish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. So, um, deep yeah. fried capers. Have you ever had a deep fried I caper? Yes. They're amazing. Oh. They open up like little flowers. So oh, clever. Yeah. So, yes, it's all about being out in amongst it and yeah. just relaxing and enjoying life. Life is wonderful. It is. Totally agree with you. And on that note, <laughs> and on that lovely note thank yeah. you so much for coming on to the podcast and we will see you at uh, Bradford and Avon Food and Drink Festival in June because you'll be in the centre again with your gin bar um, and all your delectable gin and tonics which I didn't get one last year because we never get to eat or drink anything at the festivals because we're always running around and hand one to you myself thank you as I skip past so it'll be lovely alright my darling and I will see you then thank you so much take care Lottie thanks so much bye now We think food festivals are for the whole family and we want children to have plenty of fun too. We have circus skills, face painting, fun dog shows and cook stars. The lovely Sonia Simons. I am looking at you resplendent in your office, I think. I'm I'm presuming it's your office. Um, We got together because you approached and said, I want to do some fabulous um, fun cooking for kids at festivals. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, that would be lovely. We'd love to because we have so many families and kids at the event and we love them to get into cooking. And that's what you're about, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I mean, I'm so excited to be part of the event as well. So it's all very early days for me. So I'm launching Cookstars Mid Wiltshire. So um, Cookstars is a franchise of um, cooking classes, parties and events for two to 17 year olds. There's about 30 odd franchisees around the country now and including in Wales. Um, So it's really exciting um, to kind of be able to come to you guys and really kind of kick off part of the summer for me as well and see as many people as possible within my new area and really talk to them about um, well, really just getting kids involved in cooking and kind of you know, spark their interest and obviously they're at a food festival with their parents so there's obviously an investment there already um, but it's just going to be fantastic to get them doing something and really getting involved and they always have such pride at the end of what they've done and they love you know tasting things and 
you know, enjoying new flavours as well and really hoping that that's something that we can bring to the festival. So, yeah, yeah it's no, exciting. You're so right. I mean, kids just love getting in there, don't they? And I think we, we're so conscious on this. If we've got kids in the kitchen with us, they make such a mess. And sometimes in your own kitchen, like, oh, I could, if I can face it. But at least they can do that with you. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, that is actually the beauty of it. So um, from September, I'm going to be running classes all around Mid Wiltshire. Um, and that is one of the big selling points, I think, for parents is that, you know, they can come, they can really enjoy it, be part of it as well with them. Um, they then take away a recipe card as well from me, so they can remake it at home if they want to. Um, but yeah, they don't have to do any of the washing up, they don't have to source any of the ingredients, you know, it really is the the experience and the fun without having kind of all the extra bits. But yeah, um, yeah and hopefully, you know, seeing others do it as well really kind of brings to that experience for them as well so, and it's yeah. a life it's a life skill isn't it and they need to learn this because you know they need to be able to cook for themselves and possibly their family as they're older as well and friends and you know i you, it's interesting when you a lot of kids get to university having not really ever boiled an egg and i know there's a lot of courses isn't there for you know older kids to to learn how to cook for their to university but you know it why not teach them right from the beginning like you're doing right from the start you know get a little one in there get their hands dirty get an idea of where their food comes from how it feels you know how they feel when they've cooked it and they've eaten it you know the, as you say the pride um it's a wonderful feeling isn't it for them Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, I, I believe the younger the better and getting them involved in kind of their food journey and understanding food. And as you know, um, part of my background is that I'm actually in the middle of my postgraduate qualifications to become a nutritionist. I'll be a registered nutritionist at the end of this. Um, and therefore, I do whenever I'm doing classes and parties, I do try to get that element in there and really get them experimenting with different things. So, you know, pulling out a can of chickpeas and just saying, what do you think this is? And getting them to try something and really making them understand what's involved in that. And the food journey is such an important one to understand. So um, nutritionists look at not only what you put in your mouth, but also your kind of holistic well-being. So very much your sleep, the exercise around it as well, and how your body kind of functions as this amazing machine. But food is so important as a part of that. Um, and really ensuring that children and young people and even adults also understand that it's all about balance. So, yes, you can have that cake and yes, you can have, you know, that naughty you know, treat that you think that you probably shouldn't have. Yeah, you can have that as long as you make sure you balance that out with your fruit, your veg, your fresh produce. Um, and really, that's kind of where my passions lie. And that's what I love kind of communicating out to kids and giving them these facts along the way as well. And they love taking those home, you know, telling their parents them as if they've come up with them. And that's great. And I love that. And yeah, just really getting them to understand about how if they fuel their bodies efficiently, um, they really will feel better in themselves. Um, and then they have that kind of, it's like a power, I think. Superpower. Like absolutely <laughs> superpower. Well, it's our health, isn't it? You know, what's more important than our health and making sure that we have that great understanding. And like you say, the older they get, they go off and then they have a really good understanding and that really good relationship with food. And the younger you can start that relationship, the better, in my opinion. Totally agree. I just want to say very quickly, if there was dog ham barking in the background, it's Winnie. I think the postman just arrived. There was a little bit of <laughs> barking going on. I could hear in the background. A few years ago, I did a series called Dynamum, and it was uh, all about uh, four mothers going in and troubleshooting people's lives. It was about 25 programmes, daytime ITV. And I used to go in and do um, house sort of the housekeeping type thing and, and food. That was my area. And we had an interiors mother, a, a psychologist mother, and one who did clothing. So, anyway, I was standing in front of some kids, and I was holding up different fruits. Kiwi, no idea. You know, pineapple, very little idea. And their mother had literally and this was no through, through no fault of her own I'm not laying any blame or judgment there but she basically lived off takeaways um because she didn't have the skill set to cook but also didn't have the time because she had three kids and she was working and everything so it was all it was all because of that but I remember the saddest thing was I said where does milk come from and he said a carton he didn't know it came from a cow I know and it broke my heart and I thought well there are so many kids out there who have no idea of where their food is sourced from you know it's in the fridge or it's in the cupboard, but actually the source of it, the milk coming from a cow, the cheese coming from the milk from a cow, you know, and the yogurt coming from, you know, and carry on. And so, I, and growing as well, growing the veg, because I know schools now do a lot of growing, don't they? So kids know where all their vegetables and their fruit comes from. So I think it's so important what you're doing, because it's real grassroots stuff, isn't it? It really is, and actually, um, 
like two of my big passions that kind of have also in my kind of nutritionist head are very much around food waste, um, sustainable fooding and food planning as well. So um, I am a believer that food planning does help um, not only maintaining that balance, but it also means that you're able to, you know, save money by going out and making sure you only buy the things that you need. You can plan when you're cooking things. And it really does mean that you can kind of go, oh, actually, I need half an hour for that, or I need an hour for that. I can cook it the night before and then just reheat it. Batch cooking, freezing, you know, all of that food waste, that gets reduced down as soon as we food plan, but also sustainable food. Now, not only just supporting British farmers, which we definitely need to do right now, um, you know, if you know, buy the wonky veg, it doesn't matter, it tastes the same nutritionally, it's just the same, buy the wonky veg. Um, and alongside all of that, it's very much, you know, the nutrients of thing, having things that haven't travelled from the other side of the world is really something for us to understand and also really embrace as and I'm really passionate about kind of making sure that we understand that we shouldn't have strawberries in December. Like you can, but they're going to be from somewhere that's taken a long time to get here. You know, wait, wait until they are grown a few miles down the road. Go pick them yourself. Have that experience as well. Like really you'll taste the difference and that difference is nutritional as well. So there is such a difference in that. And I think that kids understanding that and recognizing that see you know you don't have to eat everything all year round is really important and from a kind of environmental perspective is something that we should be teaching our children for the future as well i think we've made some mistakes in the past that we need to correct in the next generation and um yeah hopefully i can be a voice for that as well yeah i, to- I totally without pushing it too hard i sound a bit militant on it no <laughs> not at all no not at all you sound like you're you're full of energy and passion and joy about it all no I don't think so at all um I take Stanley um strawberry picking and it was a delight I mean most of them went in his mouth but that's fine <laughs> because that's all part of it <laughs> but, but that is the part of it as long as they paid for them obviously yes you know. <laughs> weigh the child before they go in weigh them when they go out but but yeah no I mean it is it is a joy to to do that with them so food festivals so you're going to bring cook stars along obviously your cook stars midwilts um, with Wiltshire and uh, you're going to be running your classes and everything but you're going to be bringing it to Bradford on Avon Food and Drink Festival in June so you're going to have a tent large marquee actually and you're going to be full of food in there and equipment and running classes um, throughout both days um, you're going to do a little one a little ones class uh, for about 30 minutes between the, the two and five yards which I have to book for Stanley because he's very excited about that um, and then you're going to be doing five plus for the rest of the day and uh, I think it's going I mean it's going to go down brilliantly and people can book it through you so they need to go to our website um, the Scrumptious Food Festival website and then they can book you uh, through there um, when the website's sorted because we, we're still in the process of putting that up so we'll launch it don't worry um, but the the other thing that I want to talk about is on the Sunday we've got the gorgeous David Atherton coming to um, the food festival who won a 2019 Great British Bake Off and he's going to be doing a masterclass with you he is indeed I'm so excited and I've spoken to David and told him quite how excited I am about <laughs> the whole thing as well so I, I think David just such is such a fantastic advocate as well not only for baking and cooking but uh, and if anyone follows him on Instagram and I would highly recommend it um, he kind of really shows how the variety of things but he's also got three children's cookbooks uh, of which my daughter has his green one um, and absolutely adores it and they're simple enough to follow so you have that kind of success feeling but at the same time you know complicated enough to really feel like they've kind of got something out of it um so he's going to come along and do a masterclass with us and he's going to be kind of filling in everybody with top tips he's going to be going around making sure that everybody kind of picks up those key techniques um, of baking and cooking so we're going to do a couple of activities um and really kind of make sure that anyone that comes along gets you know a great British Bake Off winners uh, <laughs> approach to how they do things and I just think as a child how amazing is that to kind of see how someone who has and I mean he's grown so much as well since the Bake Off if you look at his bakes and what he's up to and he's such a great communicator as well and he's really good with children um, and very much understands how to talk to them and actually he and I um, when we did speak recently um, spoke a lot about balance and nutrition and making sure that nutrition information comes in so I think it's a really kind of perfect marriage of the two of cook stars kind of being a more weekly approach and then obviously having this amazing um, you know well 
amazing person within the position who's able to kind of come in as a master and really kind of teach us things and I hope to learn from him too so um, yeah I'm really really excited about it yeah that's going to be fantastic he's oh he's such a lovely man I when we chatted to him um, and he's actually later on in this episode we've got him tied up um, he's Brilliant. just such a lovely, lovely man. He really is. He's a sweetie pie. And he's my number three boyfriend. It's a long story. Stephen Carter <laughs> Bailey is my number two. John's obviously my number one. And he's my number three now. We've made it. It's all arranged. Oh, well, <laughs> you've got to have options in life, haven't you? Um, yeah, I'm gathering them in my wake. Here's what I do. Um, brilliant. So that's all going to happen on the 11th, 10th and 11th of June um, in Bradford and Avon. Cook Stars going to have your big marquee and it's going to be cooking all weekend so people can book it with their kids and uh, it's just going to go, go like a storm. It's going to be brilliant. The other thing I must ask you just before we finish is something I ask everybody, okay? And this is uh, your 50 shades of food, Sonia. So this is something a little bit naughty and I know we don't have naughty food, I know that, but this is a, bit, a little bit sticky, a little bit filthy, something you just want to eat on your own, okay? Your daughter, because we know what children are like when they're in the house, what are you eating? What are you eating? Isn't it? Whatever you do. I used to have to go and hide in the loo and have something if I wanted a snack, because Daisy would see. Um, but, so you're on your own, okay? Everyone's out of the house, you've closed the curtains, you put Netflix on, maybe lowered the lights, it's just you and your Fifty Shades, what is it? Uh, I think I've said this to you already. This came to mind because like, I've listened to the podcast before, so I already knew what I was going to say today. Um, this comes from the days when I was a bit younger. Actually, it stemmed from um, days when I had much more of a social life than I do now. Um, having a five-year-old means I don't really have much of a social life in the evening. Um, but uh, yes, it's basically it's Aunt Bessie's Yorkshire puddings, the ones that rise in the oven. Um, so getting them straight out the freezer into the oven um and then getting gravy putting it in like a pasta bowl and then just having aunt bessie's and gravy but with my fingers <laughs> dipped in <laughs> so you might have half a dozen of them and a bowl yeah, of gravy like, and you're just dipping them into your it. yeah and it's it's not the greatest is it and um but yeah it's it's not exactly kind of what uh, my nutritionist head would tell you to eat in any way um but it's definitely like a comfort food and i i'm swear it's for days like i say when i had a social life I'd probably crave carbs um and probably some salt <laughs> from the gravy but yeah like sitting there just tearing off bits of yorkshire pudding and dunking it and it has to be thick gravy of course i know it's a very first world issue yeah. but thin gravy is the worst <laughs> it's, like, it's i mean so do you want it so up, stiff like, you can stick a spoon in it and it stands up not far off that, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know when you go to a restaurant, you go to like, have a roast and they bring out really watery gravy and you're like, it's yeah. just literally ruined the meal. Like, no. Um, but yeah, really super thick gravy. And over the years, um, so my partner and I've been together for a number of years, but it's kind of, um, he never used to like really thick gravy, but now he's kind of been converted. <laughs> but yeah, I will happily sit there on my own of an evening and just sit and dunk and uh, although chocolate is my downfall on a daily basis but um <laughs> that's, that's daily <laughs> but i love i love that yorkshire pudding dip i think that's brilliant because it is you say it's combining two wonderful comfort foods in one and i love the idea if you're just sitting there with a pasta bowl of gravy just doing yeah. yorkshire pudding to yeah. it it's just brilliant wonderful not with a fork though that's the thing i think that's the really dirty bit it's never with utensils yeah, yeah. it's just literally <laughs> with your fingers but fingers were invented before utensils that's what i always say to people you know. But also, I love I love Asian food. I eat a lot of Asian food, and obviously, a lot of like traditionally, you eat a lot of Asian food with these chopsticks or your fingers. So I, I like to believe that it's kind of that just creeping over into British culture. <laughs> oh, that's just wonderful. Being British myself is kind of yeah, any excuse. I think that's brilliant. I think that's wonderful. Oh, Sonia, it's been a joy to speak to you, and I'm really, really looking forward to Cook Stars coming to um, the food festival in June. I really am. I think it's going to be wonderful, and uh, yeah, we've just been talking logistics before we came on board and it's all going to get very exciting and um and we'll be launching it soon so we can get um the sessions booked for you um with the children but they are going to have a joy because you you're wonderful you're so bright and bubbly and uh, you know you. no you are you're an effervescent you are and i think children are just going to be attracted to you and to what um you're going to be doing in that tent so it's going to be a, a wonderful addition to the festival so thank you for coming to it thank you so much for having me it was lovely <laughs> to be on the podcast i have listened to it like i say and um it's really enjoyable to listen to so thank you for having oh, me on bless you that's grand thank you i'll see you soon i'll see you soon david atherton is not only a great british bake-off winner he is a prolific children's cookbook author too 
and he is joining us at Tame and Bradford on Avon this year. And in June, he is holding a masterclass in the Cook Stars Marquee, which I know will be blooming marvellous. I am looking at the very, very gorgeous. You are so handsome, David. You are such a handsome boy. I loved you on Great British Bake Off, and you were, of course, the winner in 2019. Um, and I think everything you've done since then is so wonderful because you are really pushing on the healthy eating and certainly children as well which I I think is great because I know you come from a health background from from nursing and public health so I think it's wonderful because they they, they look at you and they're instantly there's a connection obviously because of, of Bake Off and I think you've you've done what you've done is is completely brilliant to take that side of things and try and teach children not only how to bake and cook well, but also with a healthy edge to it as well, because they need it. Because if they're allowed to, they'll just eat cake and sugar and chocolate, won't they? <laughs> so. Yeah, and I'm very much, I, I like treats. I don't, I'm one of those people, I don't like, to me, healthy eating isn't cutting everything out at all. Like, I was on Bake Off, I love cakes. Um, one of the things I think that's most important is people just understanding what has gone into their food. So if you teach kids at an early age to enjoy the kitchen and enjoy cooking and baking, they know what's going in the food. So then they're making those decisions. When you're thinking, oh, this is a bit naughty, I'm going to enjoy this, but then I'll have something healthy later. Um, instead of not real, I think for me, it was when I learned how to make croissants, which I love, I did realise, okay, I probably shouldn't have 10 of these a day because the they're butter. not as healthy as I thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. There's quite a lot of butter that goes into them. And puff pastry, for you know, but people don't realise that either, do they? Yeah, I think, and I think that's the important bit. It's like, it's fine to have treats. It's just about knowing what's in things. And also, how much food, being in the kitchen and enjoying a kitchen, um, it's not just about the health of what you're eating. It's about that meditative thing and fun and enjoyment. I mean, if you do like it, some people, it drives them crazy. Um, but it's all, I think for kids especially, there's so much that it can give them. I think it's such a joy for kids to cook. But, you know, from, from such an early age, they really do have um, quite a capability in the kitchen. And I think we forget that. I think, we go, oh, no, they're not, they're not four yet or five. Or no, when, when they, they'll do it when they're at school. But it's something they should do so early attached to you in the kitchen. If they can. That's, I I 100% agree with you. I think I get very frustrated when people say that, oh, but I've got, a, uh, you know, a four-year-old, can they crack an egg? It's like, I know kids that are two and a half that can crack an egg. I, I'm about to turn 40. I've got friends who are 40 who can't crack an egg. Yeah. You learn skills by doing them. And so the first time you're going to do it, it's going to be a bit of a mess. Um, but like you say, they pick things up. I mean, kids at that age pick things up very quickly anyway. Um, they're used to playing. Like the best thing for them to do is play. I mean, for me, my mum had five kids and she used to make us homemade bread and that was Play-Doh. Like we just played with the bread dough. So it's play more than anything else. Uh, but yeah, kids, they, you can give them a lot more credit than, 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 uh, than people do. Like I think they can do a lot more than people think. And they absolutely can. And I mean, I'm, I've judged quite a few kiddie, like you, I'm sure, kiddie cake competitions over the years. You know, you always think there's going to be a dodgy bogey in there somewhere. Yeah, and certainly when Stanley was making me the coffee the other day, so he was just coughing. <laughs> you know, the hygiene might not be there, but the enthusiasm is. That's what I was saying. As long as they've got that, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to let you've got to let it go a bit. I think a lot of the time when I talk to people with kids baking and cooking, it's nothing to do with the kids. It's to do with the adults who are watching because they don't like the mess or they don't want it to not look perfect and things like that. And so, I mean, making kids recipes, for me, one of the things that makes it different from an adult recipe, because all my recipes are very similar to the ones I do myself, is just trying to make it a bit more robust so that, you know, you could get half an egg on the floor and it will still work. Or you can put in, you know, you can throw in quite a lot of extra flour, um, but the recipe will still work. Uh, and you've got, as parents and adults, you've got to kind of let go and allow the kids to have a bit of a mess and yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, totally, I totally agree. And you've written four cookbooks for kids, haven't you? And you've got the latest one was a Christmas one, is that right, last year? Yes, no, the Christmas one's not out yet. So I've, oh, that, one's, that one's coming this out year. this year. Right, yes. Yeah, but it's already, it's already done. Uh, but that's this year. So yeah, it's four now for kids. That's amazing. It's fantastic. And, I, and I, I've and i been looking at you on YouTube because obviously I like to research people. And and I've seen you were doing some, some lovely recipes from your Green Cook cookbook. But also you were up in the Yorkshire Dales um, for a fantastic travelogue. You're such a good presenter, David. You really are fabulous. 
so easy well, to watch. I love Yorkshire. Like it just comes natural when I'm in Yorkshire. It's actually the North York Moors National Park. Um, that's and that's oh, where the, I'm not from. The yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a thing where they. I mean, I think it's self-styled, but they say they're the capital of cake. Um, so it was absolutely brilliant just going around the whole of the North York Moors and visiting all these different places with cake. But yeah, I do. I, I mean, I'm an extrovert. A lot of people that go on Bake Off are like, I love being behind a microphone or <laughs> behind a camera. Um, so yeah, I when they asked me to do it, I was very, very happy. Yeah, no, I thought it was it was really lovely to watch. It's so beautifully shot as well, very colourful and lovely time of year when you did it. So leading on to being behind a microphone, I have to now just talk about your fantastic podcast, um, the Sticky Bun Boy. Sticky Bun Boy, sorry, Sticky Bun. <laughs> probably, yeah, that's probably about right. Um, I was listening to it the other day, and I was driving back from two days helping with my grandchildren. And I was a bit knackered. It was Saturday morning. You. You, both of you and Michael, you both kept me going. It was fabulous. Oh, it was beautifully filthy at times, which I adore. Um, <laughs> it was so funny. And I think you were talking, you were talking about the Giuseppe series of Bake Off. I think you were. And then you were talking about Traitors. Mm. Now, I didn't watch Traitors, so I kind of didn't listen to those two latest podcasts because you, you've been doing those. But I did listen to a couple of the other ones. I thought you are brilliant. The pair of you together, fabulous, so fun. We've been wanting to do that for about, I mean, you're doing a podcast now. Podcasts are, since Bake Off, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of things. Um, and I can honestly say doing the podcast with Michael, the Sticky Bun Boys, has been the most fun. It's been the thing that I've enjoyed the most. And I think it's because of that, uh, the creativity and because we're doing it on our own, like we're deciding what we're doing. And it it is just fun doing a podcast. You're just chatting. Yeah. Like we do, there's like a little bit of a script and, and also we love it's, it for us. It came about because we would always send each other really long rambling voice notes as a review of Bake Off when we'd watched it. Um, the next day we'd both do these long voice notes uh, or things like the throwdown as well, like any kind of, and drag race, all these TV shows. Uh, and then we just thought, well, why don't we just put this into a podcast? Um, but then we've been bringing in the public by doing a, there's an agony ant section of, Michael calls it a faggoty ant section, um, <laughs> where we talk about people's baking and dating disasters. And it's so much fun. It's so nice interacting with the public as well. Yeah, no, I, I thought you were glorious, the pair of you. Really, really fun. Oh, it was just, it was, I, man, and you're saying about podcasts, what I love about them. So having, doing broadcasting, I think I started on TV in like 1998. I was trying to work it out the other day. It was a long time ago. You were probably still in shorts, um, short trousers even. Um and do they say that anymore about that? You don't really say that nowadays, do you, about people being... It was the days of the short trousers because it didn't work like that. Anyway, ignore that. So, um, and for years of doing it and being at the behest of a commissioning editor or perhaps a new series producer that's come in. And, you know, I, I we lost a series on ITV years ago called Dial a Mum. I don't know if you saw it today time. You probably would have been three. But anyway, we, <laughs> we, we did it. And um, a new commissioning editor came in. No, we don't want that anymore. We're going to do game shows on ITV. So that changed everything. So that's happened so much over the years. And I think what's brilliant about a podcast and owning a podcast is you can do what you want, can't you? It's brilliant, as you say. Yeah. And I like it because I know some people's podcasts go viral and they get, you know, whatever, millions of pounds from doing it and things. But the nice thing about podcasts is that you're doing it for your core listeners. Or that's that's how we feel. We're doing it for the... If, if there's like... 50 people that want to listen to it every week, we're happy to put this out. If there's another couple of thousand that listen, then great. But like, it's nice just to be able to talk to that core group of people that you know um, want to listen because of what you're putting out there. Like for yours, like talk about food festivals. There aren't podcasts about food festivals and like all around food festivals. So that's that you've got your audience. Mm, exactly exactly and it's building which is great because we started literally just right we're just going to do it we're going to put it out there you know you get yourself an instagram and then you, you you get people on board and and it is it's really growing which is it's great and it is lovely to talk about food festivals so let's talk about you coming to our food festivals this year so you're going to be at both bradford or Avon, and you're going to be at tame food festival as well in september um now bradford on avon is in the middle of the beautiful town in wiltshire i think you've been before because you said oh that's yes. a beautiful place yeah. it is gorgeous and you're going to be coming onto the interview masterclass tent and you'll be interviewed by the gorgeous simon brown who looks after everybody um on both stages he's, he's fantastic and we're gonna have a chat and some book signing there and then you're going to go and help in the uh kids cooking cook stars where you're going to do a bit of a masterclass. 
They're mm-hmm. going to be so excited. Yeah. That would be brilliant. <laughs> Getting lots of sticky fingers. Love it. And then at Tame, you're going to be uh, cooking for us on the big cookery stage. And again, doing a book signing and perhaps, you know, popping into the fun kitchen and seeing what the kids are up to there. So thank you. It's going to be great. And this year, we've got a bake-off fest going on. Because at Bradford, we've got Giuseppe, we've got you, we've got Siberia, we've got Janus, got Val Stone, she always comes because she lives around the corner, and Stephen Carter Bailey, my number two boyfriend. I don't know if you know that. He is my number two boyfriend. <laughs> he, is, he, yeah. he is my number two boyfriend. Um, you, he's, he's aiming for number one, I've heard. Well, he tries every time, but I have to keep batting him back. You could be my number three, David. <laughs> don't tell us. Not in order of preference, just in order of, you know, <laughs> order of boyfriend. <laughs> So, yeah, no, it's going to be great. And it, what's lovely about the food festivals and what I, I get back from all the, the Bake Off crowd is that you'll have little meetings there. You'll, like, know that you can come to the food festivals and have a bit of fun. You must do that around the country. Yeah, because with, with Bake Off, you have this shared experience with the people on your year. But it's really, really interesting to meet people from different years, especially, I mean, especially if you have if you're from different eras, like the BBC or the Channel 4 era, uh, it's really nice to meet people and kind of see how things have changed and see what, you know, what their experience was. And also often, like, so for me, for someone like Stephen, for example, I hadn't been on Bake Off when Stephen was on. So I still look at Stephen as like, oh, Stephen, like the, the cool Bake Off guy. Um, whereas the people at, that's come after you, you kind of see them as, oh yeah, that's just, you know, they're Bake Off people. Yeah. Um, so I particularly like what, uh, meeting the people who were on the series before me. Yeah, it is, and I just love meeting them all as well. And, you know, I have to say, you're so popular at the food festivals. Bake Off um, alumni are just such a crowd draw. Everyone loves to come and watch. And they all, because they all just feel they know you. And, you know, because they've been through the whole of the process with you as well. And the agony and the things that went wrong. And in your year, was there an outstanding moment for you? I mean, or a disaster? It could have been someone else's as well that you had a little sniggle behind your hands at <laughs> or oh, they did wrong <laughs> I think for me we had a technical because I actually did really well in the technical that was like the thing I was I was good at um I always seem to come like first or second but then there was one that I came last like right at the bottom and basically it was to do um beignet souffles like the little shoe pastry deep fried donuty things and I just had a total mind block about how to do shoe pastry of course I know how to make shoe pastry couldn't remember, and it was all going as a total disaster. Um, little did I know that Michael, my co-podcaster, was also having a disaster, but we kind of dealt with it in different ways. Like Michael had a full panic attack and like left the tent and had a meltdown. I just messed about, I couldn't be bothered. And then Michael still beat me, I still came last. Um, so I actually had fun. I have to say, I did actually have fun when things went wrong, because um, there's a lot of stress. And when things start going very wrong, it kind of cuts the tension, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of let go of it and be like, okay, yeah. this is this is the what this is what's happening. Yeah, whatever. I have to tell you something very funny talking about and this is a story I actually um I I used to interview Paul Hollywood quite a lot at various shows and stuff. So I I told him this story I was just making the connection there. Um and it was when I was in Holland, I went and did a cake tea afternoon tea demonstration a friend of mine got me over there and I was because she said they don't do afternoon tea properly in Holland she decided so she wanted me to show them a proper English afternoon tea so I was doing it and I was got to the point of decorating the cakes and I was telling them about piping and I was saying so got your cake what you need to do this is really important when you're piping so you get your piping bag you turn it inside out you fill it like that squeeze it but you only ever hold your piping bag between your finger and your thumb you squeeze it with the same hand you don't squeeze it with both hands because it comes out the top I'm an expert piper I can do it in my sleep don't worry I've done it a long time da, 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 piping, piping, piping. there's my friend in the corner I mean you're laughing now because you know where this is going <laughs> and she was just pissing herself you know Sue was just and I thought what's she laughing at it's very odd anyway afterwards she says to me Lottie do you know what piping means in Dutch I said no she said a blowjob she said, you have just spent the last 20 minutes telling everyone how fabulous you are at it. <laughs> but this is entertainment. This is, I do not, this is the nice thing about doing things like food festivals because I think one thing I've learned, one of the reasons I went on Bake Off is because I was always one of those people that liked to do things well. And so I would only do things that I could do well and only let people see things that had been successful and things. Go on something like Bake Off or get up on the stage um, in a food festival. Anything can happen you're just like, you know, 
you don't have control over that and you just have to run with it and it's so much fun <laughs> it's all fun and if something goes wrong it's even better because people love it they go he is human he's you know or she's human they've done it wrong we can do it wrong too that's fantastic so i'm really looking forward to seeing you in june and in september and um finally meeting you and you becoming my number three boyfriend don't tell Stephen. be fine with it be fine with it um but first of all before you go this is the question i ask everybody okay everybody gets this question at the end of their um time on the podcast what is and i'm gonna say it's very seductively now what is your Fifty Shades of Food? Think Fifty Shades book, but kind of not quite like that. But you want to close the curtains, shut the door, lock it. Spend a bit of me time with the lights low, a bit of soft music in the background. And just you and something to eat. What would it be? Sticky, filthy, juicy? Oh, I mean, this is so, you know, Bake Off is a bit, it's quite nice, isn't it? It's a, it's a lovely program, and one of the, one of the problems I have is that, and this is why it's good we did our podcast, is because I think people sometimes think that we're really really nice. You've met Stephen. Now we can be very <laughs> filthy as well, um, and ask the Human Boy podcast it does get quite filthy. So I'm not going to hold back, and I would say, well, first of all, I want someone else to be there because there's these um, chocolate batons that you get from Hotel Chocolat, uh, and at skin temperature they melt. So I would quite oh like. Oh my lord! To you're going. I know where you're going here with this. <laughs> <laughs> Is that enough? Because it'll start melting, and you can lick it off, and it's yeah, yeah. I kind of I would go with that. Yes. Okay. So I've just got myself a little bit hot here. So you're talking <laughs> about melting chocolate batons all over somebody else, and then having a scoff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love. I love seventy percent cocoa solids chocolate, and it melts so nice at body temperature. <laughs> On that note. Fabulous. I think that's the best yet. <laughs> that's good. It's wonderful. Oh, my darling, it's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I, as I say, I'm really excited that you're going to be at both events this year. And I think the kids are going to love you. Well, I know they're going to love you too. I've already had somebody say who saw today on Instagram that I popped up saying, oh, I can't wait to get a signed cookbook. So there you go. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Another full-bodied, juicy, zesty dip into the world of food. A moorish morsel of abundance. Next time, I have a treat for you. My old chef matey and culinary boyfriend, Tristan Welsh. I seem to have quite a lot of extra boyfriends at the moment, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Anyway, we chat Food Network, foodie tips and general silliness. We also take a dip into the world of beer with the boys from True Story Brewing. See you then. We hope you like listening to our podcast. We just love producing it. If you think you know someone that would enjoy listening to it too, please share and pass on. Please like and follow us on the platform you listen with. We are on Instagram, Truly Scrumptious Podcast, and of course there are our festivals where this podcast stems from. Bradford on Avon Food and Drink Festival and Tame Food Festival. Website links are on our profile, but just Google them and you'll find us. And buy tickets to visit. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>